It's Aaron Levine, LG Insurance, with another episode of And Insurance. And today we're going to talk a little bit about cyber risks. We're going to talk about title insurance. It's a type of insurance, but it's, you know, we're going to, we're going to put some best practices um, on the table for law firms, real estate agencies, business owners, um, and, and everybody else in between. And today I have Matthew Cohen from Two Rivers Title joining us. So thanks, Matt, for, uh, for joining me today. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Aaron. Nice me, to be here. Give me a brief background about yourself and Two Rivers Title. Tell me who you are and, and what you do. Well, I'm a paranoid lawyer by training. <laughs> I've, been, <laughs> I've been involved with real estate for about 30 years. Uh, so I am born and bred in New Jersey. I moved down to this county, Monmouth County, about 28 years ago. I started my title agencies back in 2003 and four, and I've grown it into a multi-state operation. It's covering a big chunk of the Eastern seaboard between uh, Connecticut and Florida. I'm gonna fill in the missing pieces of the puzzle, <laughs> hopefully this year. And um, we do, it's, uh, that's what I do professionally. I help people buy homes and businesses. So what, what is title insurance? I know what insurance I sell for a living and what my staff handles. Um, you handle something similar, but totally different because there's a little bit more work involved. So tell us what title is. I, the insurance is like the exact opposite of all the other lines that you deal <laughs> with, because you're dealing with what's happening in the future. Are right. somebody going to have a fire, a car accident, whatever it is, you're, that potential theft, that future liability. I deal with what's happened in the past. Title insurance is simply taking a look at everything that's transpired involving a piece of property from now until the dawn, from the dawn of time and who owns it and who has a right to use it and what liens may be on it. So when somebody buys a home, we have to make sure they, they're buying what they think they're buying, that that lot is a half acre, that nobody else has the right to park their boat in their backyard. So we tell them everything, and that's very common here in Monmouth County. Wait, you know, if I'm, I can write it into my deed that I can keep my boat here for eternity? I have seen literally hundreds of situations where people have the right to park recreational vehicles, boats, um, right to park in other people's backyards during certain months of the year. It's devious. We had a situation in Fairhaven that there's a small road where that makes a right turn, very narrow road. It's been around for 200 years. So people on op one person couldn't get to the main road because with their big boat because the turn was too sharp. And the other house that was on the main road in front of them didn't have a garage. So they cut a deal in 1957 that said, you can, I won't ever fence in my yard, so you can always pull your boat right across my property to get to River Road. <laughs> and in exchange, I get to use half your garage. And it was part of the public record and everything was well and good for about 50 years. And both homeowners decided to retire someplace warmer within a, a year of each other. They both sold their homes. The new buyers come in. And then one day the guy on the main road starts fencing in the property, has a landscaping services, planting bushes and trees. And his new neighbor across the street starts knocking on his door. What are you doing? <laughs> I, I, have, I have a nice new boat, which I intend to be taking out in the spring. And I have to use your property. And so the guy with the boat knew that this right of way, this easement, this deal existed 
the guy, the other guy, had no clue. But he, and he should have, and that's absolutely right. He he didn't have a clue because in that case, because I was almost called as an expert witness, but the case was almost a slam dunk. Uh, so there was really nothing that the guy on the main road could do. The title agency had picked up the agreement and just had put a simple recitation, agreement in deed, book, and page. He didn't know what he was looking at. So does he have a claim against uh, the, the old homeowners or the t his title insurance? I would say that the title insurance agency could have done a better job putting an explanation in the title binder that the attorney for that particular buyer should have asked questions. Uh, and I, it's, it's quite possible that the, that the person who sold him the home just forgot about it. It had been a, a while, but it's there. That's that, big oops. But that's what we do. We're, our job is to make sure everyone knows what they're buying, <laughs> who else might have a right. And because, you know, there's a lot of that, especially in these shore communities. It was a very cooperative environment right. in the 50s and 60s and 70s. And people gave rights to friends and neighbors to use portions of their property uh, for various purposes. So we're going to come back to this title stuff. I think we need to do a whole other episode on, you know, fun title stuff that happens in Monmouth County. And I think you have to bring maps. We'll bring Tom Santry in, um, you know, and we'll look at maps because I think this is a whole nother topic, but I want to dive into something totally different. But first, when it comes to title insurance and the title work that's being performed for buyers of residential and commercial property, you know, before you and I had a relationship, title work just appeared in a sale or in a purchase of, of real estate. So there was no... I didn't know any any different until we started working together. Then I was able to make sure that I, I used Two Rivers Title. Do consumers have the right to choose their title company? Absolutely. It's it's their money. It's their choice. And they should know who's doing the work. This, just from the example I gave you, right. it is one of the most critical functions uh, that has to take place correctly for you to buy your home. And the repercussions of it being done wrong are huge. The example I gave you, it's it's sort of a little funny, not a big deal for that homeowner, but what if there were retaining walls or what if there was an underground sprinkler system, pipe system that ran underneath your property? What if there's a gas main that runs near your house that you didn't know about? Would you have bought the house if there was a 10-foot gas main three feet from the side of your home? These are all right. things that I've seen. And now with cyber fraud overwhelming this country. I was going to say the real estate industry. <laughs> the, it's, the world. We handle, the title agency most of the time handles all the money and all the documents in the transaction at some point. So you need to trust the people who are doing that work. It's Settlement is a big part of what you do, making sure that the money comes in and goes back out to the respective parties. Yes, right? that's the From biggest part now. Buyer to seller, to legal fees, to realtor commissions, to insurance payments, because we know that insurance mm -hmm. get payments get settled um, at, at closing as well. So you're in a hot spot for fraud because you're dealing with big money. You're dealing with fast transactions in, in today's world. Um, with the way the market is, people are making crazy deals, mm -hmm. making faster deals than they ever have in any other, you know, residential real estate economy that we've been in. So things are all over the place. 
and there's how many parties to a transaction for a single home? How many people could be in an email train, an email chain? We're dealing from 10 to 15 people on these email chains. The you have attorneys on both sides, you have buyers and sellers that are on the email chains, you have realtors on both sides. Sometimes there's an assistant at a real estate brokerage, the lender is involved. Usually there's multiple people. You have a closing department, a clearance department, uh, a loan officer, a, a closing assistant. So you have four or five different people just at the lender. right? And then you have sometimes you have the municipality because there's a CFO issue or something like that. So there's 10 to 15 points of access you got for it. a fraudster to get in through to discover to learn, to create impersonations of, and whether they're local or not, you know, be able to find ways to infiltrate the system and, and, and steal the money. They're just trying to find the weak link. And you never know who it's going to be. Um, we have fraud attempts on our company pretty much every day now. Because we do, our volume is high enough. We do several hundred closings a month. And we have people impersonating the lawyers, the realtors, the loan officers, the buyers, the sellers, and they're also trying to trick all of those people to pretend that they're us. So it's, you know, we have to put a lot of protocols in place, which slows down things sometimes. People, people don't want, like that. People don't want to slow it down. They don't want to <laughs> slow it down, but the downside is your life savings disappears. Why don't maybe this is the question for, for me is, you know, why do people want to speed it up and not take the necessary precautions? Are they just not informed or are we just still in the, it's not going to happen to me because that's human nature. Um, what are you seeing from your end of why people want to push and, and make things go faster? Well, right now we have a crazy real estate market, busiest I've ever seen, but generally there's always, I think the expression is called whistling past the graveyard. They just don't think it's going to happen to them. Right. They know they know that they feel they're taking the proper precautions. They think they'll be careful, but everybody can be tricked. And it just takes that one moment of weakness to give out enough information that the, the fraudsters now take that additional information to try and trick somebody else involved in the transaction. Right. And so... You know, that's a great segue into into some of this insurance stuff. And we've been having conversations about mm -hmm. certain types of insurance. You recently spoke at the uh, Monmouth County Bar Association around cybersecurity. You were a part of a panel on cybersecurity uh, from protection to insurance um, and everything therein. And you have a great security protocol at, at your business. But we're finding situations where... Um, the buyers are defrauded. Is that even a real word? Um, the buyers are defrauded or, or the money from the buyer gets stolen directly from the buyer before it even gets into the escrow accounts of the attorney or the settlement agent of your, your accounts. Mm -hmm. And there's no insurance in place for that buyer. So our insurance for the most part, when we write a crime policy is first party crime coverage. Money gets stolen out of the bank account of Two Rivers Title that was sent there by the buyer is covered under a crime policy that Two Rivers Title has purchased. However, if there's an impersonation or a fraud 
and that money's stolen from the buyer before it even gets sent, most individuals don't have cyber policies or crime policies um, of significant enough value to protect that six figure or that 50 or $100,000 of, of money or even more millions of dollars of money before it gets sent to, to the settlement agency. So we're, we're in a tricky spot right now where there's a lot of issues that are not necessarily really in, insured right now because most insurance on the cyber side is first party, even though we started talking about um, this great coverage that I have here on this, on this sheet, which is the, which is the phishing coverage, which we now offer. Um, and it's through conversations and discovery. And as these cyber policies continue to evolve every year, as the theft and the crime evolves even faster, you know, we're trying to find ways to then help the first party for that third party theft. And then we have the phishing coverage and the cyber deception coverage, um, which would be known as social engineering or reverse social engineering, which we now we now try to offer and, and put out there, but it, it's totally wild. So how do you stay ahead of any of this stuff? Well, we have different security protocols in place. Our, our software is, we use a multi-factor authentication system for transmitting information. Um, all of our data is secured, but it's also a question of knowing who we're dealing with. It's a, you have to talk to people on the phone. You have to independently verify information that you receive. We get an email for a payoff or wire instructions um, we go online and we try to verify the phone numbers, the addresses, the email accounts when we're dealing with somebody we don't know. Um, for wires for payoffs, for instance, we have profiles set up through our banking system. So literally thousands of payoff accounts for banks. We know what the routing number <laughs> and account number is for those banks. We had a problem um, about two months ago I won't say the name of the bank, it was a major bank. And we had payoff instructions that were included on three different files, a couple of refinances and a purchase, rather two purchases and a refinance. And it was a major bank and it wasn't one of the accounts that we had profiled. And we were sure that we had absolutely every account for this particular bank. Mm -hmm. And they wouldn't confer their security profiles meant that they couldn't verify instructions. <clears throat> we're saying all we're asking you to do is verify this is your ABA and an account you use to receive mortgage payoffs. Right. Our protocols required us to verify the information, not just receive an email or a fax, but to verbally verify it with a trusted source. We walked into branches, we contacted officers, branch managers that we knew in different states and nobody was allowed to verify. The only reason we were able to do these payoffs, we finally, for this particular case, is one of those payoffs was a bank internal refinance. Same bank on the new loan as the old loan. And the payoff instructions, there was a copy of the payoff instructions in the actual closing package that was generated and sent to us. So we had a an email that we knew was accurate because it came right. through a secure system and it contained the payoff for that bank paying off its own mortgage. And then we were able to set up a new profile and it matched the other two. I don't want to say too much about <laughs> this, how we verify information and the steps we take because right. it's, it's really, 
we ask a lot of questions. We ask them more than once. We get things in writing. We ask things to be notarized, and we double check constantly. And we have written procedures, and we have certain people in our company that can make an exception after they do a review. I wouldn't even say their names in a public setting of who has <laughs> who has an authority to make an exception because we don't know who's going to be targeted. Right. It's a, it's, you know, we're trying it's, to stay one step ahead. It's, it's staying one step ahead and you're doing a great job with, with your security protocol. Um, we have many conversations about insurance and that's where we, you know, worked on the cyber deception and the phishing coverage, you know, looking at these other coverages in a well-equipped cyber policy, security breach response, cyber extortion, business income, um, computer systems, which is, you know, when your systems get locked up for ransomware, how you can get everything back again. Um, you know, corporate ID theft is setting up credit in someone else's name. You wouldn't know about it for God knows, mm -hmm. goes, God knows how long, you know, so there's so many things that get put into, into this, uh, into this cyber policy. Um, you're a big fan of insurance. That's why I'm a big fan of you. Um, so we, we do, a, we do a lot of it and, you know, so not just the cyber stuff and the security that you're doing, but you know, what should law firms be doing for their security protocol and real estate offices? Um, let's, let's talk about that of how you're helping other businesses with, with their security protocols for real estate transactions as well. I go in and lecture for them. I've been doing this for the state bar and different county bar associations for over five years. So, what I do is I offer to go into law firms, and a number of them have taken me up on the offer, and go to speak to their staff, do the same training with them that I do for my own team. We do it for real estate brokerages as well. Uh, when I, I'm going to be in Florida in a few weeks on business, and the, on the East Coast over in West Palm Beach, uh, brokerage, and I'm going to be sitting with their entire team and doing a one-hour presentation on how to avoid giving out information, how to avoid having you and your clients defrauded. How to make excuses to go on vacation. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, and first thing is you, you always, you have to use, if your company provides you an email account, injure security attached to it, use that. Never use a personal Gmail or Yahoo account. What about you know, AOL? Is that still? It's, it's a thing. Um, I remember we did a call, we did a meeting once and I came and we spoke about cyber stuff. And first question I asked was, uh, who in the room still uses an America online account? And there was definitely a half a dozen attorneys that, that rose their hand that they're using their old AOL account that was set up in 1995 by their, by their children. It's, it's scary. It, it's, and it's a problem because as I said, people reach out to me, um, especially realtors and attorneys when there's been a fraud event, what do I do next? What do, you know, how do I handle the situation? Notify your insurance carrier. Call the FBI, the kill chain process, to see if you can st stop or claw back the wire. Call your bank. But all these things should be done in the minutes right. following, not hours later <clears throat> or days later. Immediately do all of these things and then try to figure out how the fraud took place as best you can. That's where insurance comes in. Part of them will, will help. They'll send in experts. They'll pay for those experts to come in, mm -hmm. determine what data may have been stolen, determine how the breach occurred, if the breach even occurred within your own system. You talked about first-party liability. Well, what about 
an E&O policy or malpractice policy? Does your attorney have that? Does your realtor have that? Does it, do they have some type of professional malpractice if their negligence caused you as the home purchaser to be defrauded? You, wanna, you may want to ask that question. I don't know anybody that asked their realtor, do you have insurance coverage? They just for- want the realtor to show up. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's, the numbers are big. A terrible story from last year in Ocean County um, involved a woman that was defrauded of almost $400,000 after she sold her home, and it was going to be a period of time till she bought her new home. And the fraudsters knew everything about what was going on in the transaction. Not, one, not a deal we were insuring. I don't know if it was the realtor or the individual or the attorney was hacked. We suspect it was the real estate broker in this particular case because of which brokerage it was. And I've heard a lot of incidences involving this one particular brokerage. We just don't think their email system is secure enough. And I've spoken to that broker about it, that we're seeing a lot of cases involving her agents. They used a simple device, uh, an app that was able to spoof her loan officer's name and phone number. And they called her when she was on a busy street in Tom's River near the end of the day, not so near the end of the day that her bank wasn't opened. They did a lot of research on this person, knew where she was going to be, where she was banking, when her closing was scheduled to take place. And they called her, pretending to be impersonating her loan officer. Did you send your attorney the money yet? Because we have to verify that the money is in their account by the end of the day. Oh, no? Good. I mean, do you have his wire instructions? They had set up a fake bank account They had that was similar in name to her lawyer. They, they had opened up the account with standing wire instructions to wire it out if any money was received. They called her, please, can you go to your bank? You have time to go to your bank now and wire the funds to your lawyer so that we can close in two days. Otherwise, we're not gonna be able to close till next week. Sure, do you have those wire instructions? No, you want me to email that to you now? Yes, I can look it out on my phone and we can do it. I can do it right at the branch. This woman was doing everything right, except she didn't realize that people can spoof phone numbers. <laughs> and she didn't think to call her lawyer because everything made sense. The, the person impersonating a loan officer knew the house she was buying, knew when she was closing, knew who her lawyer was. They had gradually gathered up all the information necessary to trick her and must have been physically following her, knowing when she was in a busy spot that she wouldn't really be here, that the, the voice on the phone wasn't the same voice. You know, it's, it's scary that, you know, it can happen that, that easily, and these fraudsters are so sophisticated. They're career criminals. And it's gotten much better than my uncle from Nigeria who won the lottery just trying to, to get me to call back. Like, I think those, those emails still exist probably because they'll catch somebody. But there's so much telephone fraud and there's so much of, of this theft going on. There's a breach somewhere that everybody needs to step up their security protocol. Everybody needs to buy more insurance. And I'm not saying this because I want to sell more insurance, but... You know, there's a breach somewhere, and when you have 10 to 15 people in that chain of conversation, everybody needs to put their insurance companies on notice. Somebody needs to figure out where that breach was so we can close the gap so it doesn't happen again and find out any other files that might have been sacrificed in that. 
Um, and then we also need to make sure that our, our professional liability, our E&O is tightened up also, and we can try to close some gaps in that. Well, you know, you know for business owners, I have, I have every type of insurance you can have. Do I want to pay all, all that <laughs> money for insurance? No, but. But you don't have a choice. I don't have a choice. It, and it, it's not just because I'm in the real estate related business. This is happening to supermarkets, truck right. companies, auto dealerships, you name it, every business, if you're a business owner, every type of business is being targeted. Uh, um, invoice fraud is a growing problem. So, I mean, this type of coverage, as you're aware, is, is fairly new to the industry because there was a problem and we had to provide a solution. You're, if one of your customers, you sent, pays an invoice, a fraudulent invoice coming from you, pays it to the fraudsters instead of to you, are you going to be able to recover that money? Are they going to pay your $20,000 bill or $10,000 bill right. when they just paid it? How did, they're going to start questioning, well, how did they know I owed you that amount of money? How did they know I was doing business with you? If, it, and if you're the business owner and are you going to, by the way, your client just lost, let's say the number $17,000 or that contractor that was working on your house um, or that subcontractor, they just lost $17,000. Are you going to sue them so that you can also get paid the $17,000? Now you have now you're talking about insurance to cover you for third party events that may have happened, or maybe it was because your systems weren't secure, right? And so they were able to trick your customer. Now you weren't the one defrauded. Traditional insurance would not have covered your customer being defrauded, but now that coverage is available within limits, and it's very important to if you don't have it to get it. But as you know, as an insurance agent in the property and casualty business, it's scary because every policy for cyber insurance, and we don't just call it cyber liability anymore because we're talking theft of funds, um, for cyber insurance, both first party and third party, including theft of funds and, and liability for a lawsuit that could arise, um, is different and it's evolving so quickly. And unless a customer is interested and aware of and willing to continue to work to evolve with it, makes it very challenging and scary from a, my seat because, you know, I don't want to be too late on, on something happening. Um, and, and it really is more is better in this situation. There's no clear lines between what the different policies offer in terms of coverage. So there may be some overlap, but because of the exclusions, the different carriers have put in place because, you know, they can get overwhelmed with claims in this, in the cyber in the cyber fraud arena, because right. there's so many different types. It's, you can be defrauded, your customer can be defrauded because of what happened within your company. And you have to, or a third party, because of what happened within your company. I mean, we talked about this, it's, you sort of have to layer the insurance now to fill in as many gaps as possible, as many scenarios as possible. Right, using that layered approach, we found that on the professional liability in some of those E&O policies, that you are provided with some level of duty to defend for these fraud situations that aren't first party. Um, we find that the cyber standalone covers certain events, and then we find that the crime standalone covers other events with some overlap. So unfortunately, it does wind up costing a little bit more money to get those layers. But at the end of the day, if you have three places to go to to file a claim, 
you know, you're more likely to have that coverage and you're more, more able to, you know, push the underwriters and push the claims adjusters on getting somebody to, to defend and help out and cover a loss in, in these situations. So the layered approach is going to be the best approach for sure with respect to these insurance policies and really working with a single professional that's going to be able to handle all of these policies is going to be super important. Um, you know, we have some insureds that are, have some with us, other stuff elsewhere, and we're really trying to rein everybody in to keep things with one professional, preferably and hopefully us. Um, however, if that's not the case, they should really keep everything in one place because if you have multiple agents and multiple policies and things are just scattered all over the place, it's, it's just going to be a mess come, come claim time. So I'm glad I, <laughs> I, I deal with you and your team. I, I know that I have as comprehensive coverage as I, I can get and that you're constantly looking at, at the changes in the coverage that are out there. The carriers are evolving as fast as they can to deal with and an insurance is always slow. So Matt, thank you so much for joining me today. Can't wait to have you back again to dive into some <laughs> of that title work. I think that's an interesting conversation. If we can, you know, bring some maps and do some stories, I think would be really cool for uh, for people to see. So I'd love thank, to. Thank you. Thank you.